<laughs> uh, so Rochelle read for us the, the story from Gideon's chapter, or Gideon's, from Judges chapter 6 about Gideon. Uh, and it is a long story, and we wanted to read the entirety of it so that you could kind of get the picture of what's happening. But we're going to focus in on just a few verses of that this morning. Before we do, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this place today. Lord, I thank you for the gathering of your saints. I thank you that we can come, we can worship you in, in song and in word. And Lord, as we open your word today, as we look at Judges chapter 6, Father, I'm asking that you would do a work in the hearts of the people here. Lord, there is a, a peace that is needed in our lives and in this world that can only come from you. And so, Father, as we talk about that peace today, may you fill our hearts with it and fill our lives with it. Make us more into the image of your Son, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we, we looked at the name of God, Jehovah Nisi, uh, which means the Lord is my banner. And at the beginning of that sermon, I read a portion of Dante's famous allegorical poem, Inferno. And the section that I read depicted this scene of restless souls in one of the outer layers of hell who were chasing after a banner that they were unable to grasp as it moved rapidly and unceasingly in circles. And the picture that Dante depicts in Inferno is this earnest portrayal of the state of our broken world in which people spend their whole lives searching and chasing after that thing, that that banner from which they receive their identity. It could be work, it could be their race, it could be their gender identity, it could be their sexuality, it could be money, it could be their accomplishments, it could even be their children. The options are numerous, but the goal is exactly the same. People are searching for a banner that says, this is who I am, and this is how I want people to see me. The endless search comes from the fact that we were made to receive our identity from something outside of ourselves. And we cannot rest until we know who we are, until our identity is rooted Correctly, And so we search, knowing that if we find the right thing, it will provide much needed rest for our souls and a peace that is otherwise elusive to us. But we face a major problem. Sin has skewed our understanding of where our identity comes from. Sin has twisted our desires to look for identity in every place except where we should look. We were created by God to look to him and receive from him our identity. He was to be humanity's banner. But in our rebellion, we no longer looked to God and went on this great search to find another banner over our lives that would bring the peace that we lost in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. And our efforts have been in vain ever since. Man in all of his thousands of years since the Garden of Eden has been fruitless in finding peace on our own. 
It is not hard for us to recognize that we live in a world that is lacking peace. Both on a global scale and an individual scale, our world is one that is largely devoid of peace. If we look on a global scale, the most notable example for many people at this time is the war that continues to rage in Ukraine. But there's also increasing tensions happening right now between China and Taiwan. There's the the 18 other active military conflicts that are happening in our world that are recognized by the United States. There's countless other smaller conflicts that are occurring all over the place, many of which are rooted in religious and ethnic extremism. In our own country, political and civil unrest is is, is, is increasing. As there's this increasing difference between those on the left and those on the right of the social and political spectrum, having very different views of what the future of Canada should look like. And personally, I've, I've never known a time, I can't remember a time in my lifetime, where men and women are so fearful of what world leaders and organizations are doing on a global scale. There is massive unrest in our world. But it's not just amongst nations, it's not just amongst groups. On an individual scale, hearts are restless. If we look at statistics, we can easily see families are broken. Marriages are collapsing. Mental health issues are rapidly increasing. Suicides, drug addiction, alcoholism, alcoholism they're all on this upward trajectory right now. Individuals are heavily medicated and use destructive ways to cope and try to bring peace to their minds and to their hearts. We are a world that longs for peace. We are a world that needs peace, but we cannot obtain it. The restless souls in Dante's Inferno are all around us. They're everywhere. And some are here in this room this morning as well. An absence of peace does not only plague the world. It plagues some who are followers of Jesus. And some that have been in church maybe their whole lives, but don't have an active and living faith. And so my hope this morning is that the Lord would do a work in our hearts, in the hearts that need it this morning, and give you peace. And so first, we need to look at and be able to recognize whether the problem exists in our own hearts, whether this is something that we struggle with. And and a restless heart, a restless heart that's not at peace can, can come out in many different ways that I can't cover this morning. But I want to touch on just a few so that we can kind of tease this out in our own hearts. And so first, if you harbor bitterness, if you harbor resentment, Your heart is lacking peace. A clear sign of someone who is bitter and resentful is in how you speak. You will consistently have an edge to you. You will grumble. You will be overly negative. You will be overly critical. And people will need to walk on eggshells around you. If you isolate yourself, your heart may be lacking peace. Someone who lacks peace hides themselves from God and hides themselves from people out of a fear of the turmoil that's within them being exposed. 
And I don't mean that you won't be around others. I, won't, I don't mean that you may not have a lot of friends, but you will isolate yourself from being truly known by them. You will not let people challenge you. You will not let people speak into your life. You will not allow people to question your walk with God or decisions you make because you won't be able to handle the criticism. If you refuse to forgive, your heart is not at peace. This is an obvious one for us. When Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, He said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a heavy verse. Jesus is saying, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, then you can have no assurance that your heavenly Father has forgiven you of yours. And if God has not forgiven you, or you can't be assured of the forgiveness you've received from God, then you do not have peace. If you are indifferent to other people, your heart is likely not at peace. A heart that is at peace is able to pour itself up for the sake of others. A heart that is in strife cannot see past its own hurt. It cannot see past its own needs. It cannot be aware of the hurts and the needs around it. If you're prideful, you may be lacking peace. Ultimately, pride is just a form of self-protection. It's rooted in insecurity. It keeps us from having to face reality by keeping ourselves elevated and others down. And lastly, if you partake in destructive behaviors, your heart is not at peace. If you drink to an altered state or use substances that lead to an altered state, there is a reason you feel it is necessary to do so. Don't fool yourself into thinking it's just fun. Sin is appealing in a moment, but it leads to death. This is what Jesus tells us. There is a lack of peace inside you that makes you think you need these things. If you binge watch TV shows, are you just enjoying a TV show? Or are you escaping reality? If you're constantly on a screen. If you're overworking. If you're constantly stimulating your brain with some external source. Is there a reason why you cannot be alone with just your thoughts and rest? If I told some of you, your task this week is to go home. And sit in silence before God for 10 minutes a day with nothing around you, no distractions. For some of you, that would give you anxiety. Why? 
I hope that if any of this describes you, that the Holy Spirit of God will do a work in your heart today and bring peace to your life that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, the the problem with humanity's pursuit of peace is there's a fundamental flaw in our attempts to obtain it. And that flaw is this. The peace that we need cannot be obtained through anything in this world, nor can it be obtained solely by our efforts alone. And so every effort we make to do so on our own will ultimately be fruitless. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that. When we're stuck in destructive behaviors, we know ultimately it's not going to bring me peace. But because it gives me relief for a moment, I keep coming back to it. We put a band-aid over our issues that temporarily fixes it. And it's so that we don't have to do the deep heart work that is required to face our hurts and our hang-ups. Because we're scared. The peace we need is a supernatural peace that is beyond our natural comprehension. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Paul says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, he means the peace that we need for our souls is received only in Jesus Christ. And it does not make sense to the world. The the world cannot comprehend it because it is not a natural peace. It is supernatural. We can't produce it, we can't obtain it, and we can't understand it on our own because it is a peace that is not of this fallen world. It is a peace that is set apart from all of creation. On the night before his death, Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room and spoke to them about many things regarding his kingdom. And during the conversation, the disciples became deeply troubled before when Jesus was telling them plainly that he was going to die. They were deeply troubled. And after he tells them that, he starts to teach them about peace. And he says something to them that is absolutely amazing that we've probably read over and over again. And we just kind of zoom right by it. But it is incredible. He says in John 14, chapter 27, or verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you ever read by that and just keep going? Wait a second. My peace. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is incredible. Jesus promises his troubled disciples he would leave them with peace, but not as the world does. A peace that is fleeting, a peace that is circumstantial. No, Jesus is greater than the world. He promises to give his disciples his peace. My peace I give to you. And this is precisely why the world can't understand it. And men and women cannot obtain this peace that they need on their own. It's impossible because it is an otherworldly peace that can only be received in Jesus Christ. Like, Just think about what he's saying for a moment. He is God. He is God. And he offers us his peace. We are literally offered the peace of God. That's amazing. And one of the implications of that amazing promise 
is the power of Jesus' peace that is obtained by His people. If it is of God, then it must be incredibly powerful for our lives. Now, I would say definitely the world, and I think far too many followers of Jesus, have an emasculated understanding of peace. We speak of it as though this, it's this nice feeling that we get to, to enjoy when we're emotionally steady in a circumstance. Where I hear the, the sentiment of peace most often expressed in Christian circles, I don't think this will be a surprise to anyone if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, is in decision making. I hear so many Christians say, I feel at peace, and then make a decision based on that feeling. Or, or they'll say, I just don't feel peace around it. And so they, they base their decision off of that, and they, they don't go ahead and do something based on that. This seems to be most readily how we think of peace and how we employ it. And, and I understand the intention behind such thoughtfulness surrounding decision-making, but I do often wonder if we confuse what we think is peace with what is actually more about comfort. Because in the context of decision-making, how I often hear a person's definition of peace expressed is related to them having an absence of nerves, an absence of any doubt, any questions of what if. Often an absence of any feeling of risk. And that's not really what marks biblical peace. Biblical peace is not the absence of risk. It is not the absence of nerves. It is not the absence of what ifs arising. It is a steadiness. It is a perseverance, a steadfastness, and deep unwavering trust in the midst of those emotions that can flare up in our flesh. The peace of Christ roots and grounds us and is deeper and far more abiding than what can fire off in our flesh and in our emotions. The peace of Christ is this unshakable assurance. My Savior lives. My Savior is victorious. He will accomplish on my behalf what He has promised, that I am who He has declared me to be, and I can rest knowing whatever may come, His strong right hand will bring me through. When you are able to rest in that, peace comes to every area of your life. The perfect picture, I think, of biblical peace is Jesus on the night before he goes to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think it's a perfect picture because it most readily reflects what we feel. It's a peace that allows Jesus to come before the Father and have the ability to say, not my will, but yours be done. Like he had emotions flaring up in him. He was troubled. But there was this steadfastness that held him that was greater than the turmoil that was trying to come against him in that moment. And I think followers of Jesus need a more robust understanding of the peace that comes through Jesus Christ and what it does in our hearts and lives. Because we've made peace nothing more than this nice feeling. But it's so much more than that. And certainly its effects are so much more than that. Like I, 
The reason why I gave all of the examples at the start, I wasn't just giving examples to fill time about our world's lack of peace. I gave those examples because I genuinely believe the peace that comes from Jesus Christ is the cure to all of the things that I listed. Like when you consider the motivations behind war, the tensions between countries, civil, social, political unrest, extremism, terrorism, corruption, all the things that plague our world, as well as the things that plague individual lives, the devastation of addictions, the pain that leads to suicide, destructive coping mechanisms, I would ask you, what's behind all of it? At the root, what is behind all of it? Where do these impulses and destructive behaviors come from? And I would say, because I think the Bible says they come from hearts that are void of the peace of Jesus Christ that comes through faith in Him. He is the only power to overcome such impulses and behaviors and know peace. And so, this morning as we continue through our series the names of God and why they matter, we're going to look at the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. When God first called, is first called Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. So the book of Judges, it takes place in a time after the death of Joshua and before Israel is ruled by an earthly king. And the book of Judges is most famous, I think, for the very last verse in the book, which sums up what it would have been like to live in that time. Judges 21, verse 25. We all know this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so at this point in Israel's history, it was filled with apostasy. Men and women turning from God to other idols and doing whatever they thought was right for themselves, which sounds exactly like the world that we're living in today. The book of Judges follows this cyclical narrative. We see over and over throughout the book, Israel sins and rebels against God, does what is right in their own eyes. As a result of that sin, they reap the consequences. Then they call out to God. God responds with mercy, sends a judge to the people through whom God brings redemption. The people repent and turn to him for a season. And then the cycle happens again. The entire book, rebellion, consequence, appeal for mercy, Redemption, repentance, rebellion. And Gideon is one of the six, one of the judges that God sends to his people to bring redemption. So in chapter six is where Gideon's story begins. And the people of Israel have once again done what is evil in the Lord's eyes, and they are reaping the consequences of it. And this time God gave them over to their enemies, the Midianites. And the Midianites invaded their land, forcing the Israelites into the mountains to flee into caves and hide away from their enemies. And in this time, the land is completely devoured of food and livestock, causing a a food shortage for the people of Israel. And so they cry out to God for mercy. And when they cry out to God, God sent them a prophet who told the people of Israel why all of this was happening to them. So this is happening to you because of your apostasy. They they feared the gods of the Amorites more than they feared their own God. Which means that they gave themselves up to worship of idols, of the Amorites 
gods and honored them, even though it was the God of Israel who had brought them out of Egypt, who had done amazing and miraculous things in their midst and on their behalf. But in spite of their apostasy, the Lord would rescue his people again by bringing and raising up a judge, Gideon. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now I really like this verse. I like this verse because of the contrast that is clearly seen between the people of Israel and Gideon and the angel of the Lord. I think it's very informative for us as the people of God. The people of Israel are in distress. They are hiding in caves in the mountains. Gideon himself is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, with, threshing wheat, which normally does not happen in a wine press. It happens out in the open so that the chaff could be blown away by the wind. And so the Israelites are hiding, Gideon's hiding, and they're all hiding because they're afraid of the Midianites. Meanwhile, the angel of the Lord comes and sits under a tree, enjoying some shade. And I just think it's this display of of calmness. It's this display of of peace and a a lack of fear that contrasts what the people of Israel Israel are feeling. It's, It's a very informative picture for us. The people who had turned from the Lord were frightened and hiding. And the angel of the Lord, who is the very presence of God, sits under a tree, relaxing. When you live in the presence of the Lord, there is a peace despite circumstances. This verse reminds me of Paul's exhortation in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's literally what the angel is doing. He's like, yeah, I know there's enemies around. Eh, I'm going to sit under the tree and relax because God's for me. I don't have to worry about it. Knowing that brings great peace. We can sit under a tree and relax in the presence of our enemies. Right? It reminds me of David in Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I can sit and have a feast in the presence of my enemies because God is with me. Like that is incredible peace. Peace that Gideon and a peace that the Israelites currently lacked. But Gideon would come to know this peace. And so from Gideon's story, I want to highlight five ways that we come to know the peace of the Lord. And the first is that we must have a personal encounter with the Lord. It has to start there. We must have a personal encounter with the living God. Judges 6, 12 to 13 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, 
their interaction between one another reveals that Gideon did not, before that moment, have a personal relationship with the Lord. He had heard about Him. He knew of Him. He knew some of the amazing things that He had done. But He had not experienced His presence personally. Because Gideon asks the Lord, where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon knew of the Lord, but he didn't know the Lord. He, his understanding of him came from what he had been taught by the generation before him, which speaks to the faithfulness of the previous generation. But what was absent for Gideon was firsthand knowledge of the Lord himself. He needed an encounter with the living God. Gideon misunderstood the Lord because he didn't know him, which came from a lack of closeness. And you can see this in the accusation he aims at God in this interaction. He says to him, the Lord has forsaken us. Is that true? No, that's not true. Yes, the Lord had given the Israelites into the hands of the Midianites. But had he forsaken them? No. And if Gideon knew God, he would know God does not forsake his people because our God is a covenant-keeping God. In fact, who were the ones that did the forsaking? It was the people. It wasn't God. The people forsook him. And like a good father, he allowed them to face consequences for their rebellion. They were the reason that they were not experiencing God's presence and seeing his wonderful deeds in their midst. They had given themselves over to the worship of foreign idols. God does not forsake his people. He will never leave you if you are in Christ. He has promised that he will not. But when we feel a distance from God, we often blame him for his absence. When in fact, it is probably our own absence from proper worship of him that most often causes the distance that we're experiencing. If you are a Christian and believe God has forsaken you, you are believing a lie. There is nothing in Scripture to support that idea at all. We are the ones who forsake Him. We are the ones who are unfaithful. We are the ones who walk away. Like the Israelites... We need to examine ourselves when we don't experience God's presence or see his wonderful deeds in our midst. Have I forsaken him? He is not forsaking me. So Gideon needed a personal encounter with the Lord to come to know him, not just know of him through stories. And my heart just breaks for, for the person who may be in here, who has been here for years or in church for years, and you know all about the Lord, like you know everything about him. You could talk about all of the stories and, and all of the historical things that he's done. You may even know Christian history, and yet you don't know him. And my heart breaks for that person. How we come to know Jesus is through salvation. 
We come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are, we are given the privilege of this personal experience, this personal relationship with the living God that changes our hearts and makes us new. You have to have this personal experience in order to obtain peace. Second, we must know who we are in Christ. Judges 6.12. I love Judges 6.12. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's so funny. I love that verse. Like, verse 12 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon in a wine press, hiding, and he calls him mighty man of valor. Like the paradox of that is hilarious. It's absolutely astounding. But it speaks to what the Lord does in the hearts of his people. God didn't just see the man that Gideon was, but the man that Gideon could be. That God had a plan to overwhelm and, and, and conquer their enemies with 300 men. Merely a sliver of the size of the force that the Israelite and army, or the enemies of the Israelites were. Like, can you imagine a commander building an army and needing a leader? And he asks his generals, well, who can lead this group of men? Who can bring victory? And one of his generals responds, well, there's Gideon. It's like, okay, where's Gideon? Uh, well... He's hiding in a wine press from the enemy. That's our man. That wouldn't happen. But God chooses the foolish things of the world so that his power is seen. Gideon was not a mighty man of valor. He was riddled with fear. He was riddled with anxiety. He's hiding in a wine press, and throughout chapter 6, it shows him several times being a man who is fearful. He asks repeatedly for a sign from the Lord that he is with him after meeting face-to-face -face with the angel of the Lord. The Lord tells him, knock down the altar of Baal. He goes and does it at night because he's terrified of the men of the city. But God declares him a mighty man of valor. And that is what he would become in the Lord. Because if you keep reading into chapter 7, you see by chapter 7, Gideon is a changed man. He's no longer doubting. He's no longer insecure. He's no longer afraid. He found peace because he gained confidence in who he was and who God had declared him to be. Not a self-centered confidence, but peace that comes from receiving his identity from the Lord. We must know who we are in Christ. Because when we know who we are, we will be at peace. We will not look to our left or to our right for our identity from other things. We will not be shaken when people speak against us. We will be rooted in what our Heavenly Father says about us. And so this week, every one of you, get into the Word of God. And see what God says about you. It's pretty incredible. And just meditate on that. Third, we must receive a divine call from the Lord. 
Judges 6.14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Our divine call is an extension of our identity. God says to Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. That's his identity. Now go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. That's his task. That's his divine call. Gideon's purpose was an extension of who he was. When we know who we are and why we were made, we will stop searching for other things and find rest in our calling. We all have a primary and a secondary call. We are primary followers of Jesus called to bring glory to God through making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. And our secondary calling will be the main way in which we do that. Here's what I know about all of us in this room. We have a divine call from the Lord. But for us to be at peace, we must receive that calling. To receive it is to step into it. Gideon was told who he was and what he was to do, but he had to step into it. He had to actually do it. A follower of Jesus, you have been told who you are. You have been given a great mission. Have you stepped into it? So many followers of Jesus don't have peace because you're doing tasks that you're not called to do. That you're trying to fill your life with things you're not called to fill them with. It needs to be out of an outflow of your identity in Christ. We will fill our time with other concerns and other activities until we get this. We're restless because we're not doing what we've been given to do. And I'm not saying anything crazy. I'm not saying you need to quit your job and go do this. I'm saying within where you are, just like he said to Paul, stay where you are. Doesn't mean you need to leave your job. But how do you live out that call from Jesus Christ where you are? What are the giftings that you have that you can do that from where you are? That's why we fill our time with so many other things that don't bring peace. Like I guarantee you, we all get terrified about sharing the gospel, right? We all get terrified. Oh my goodness, I don't want to go up and share the gospel with that person. I don't want to go and do that. God, please don't tell me to do that. But I can... I promise you on the other side of that faithfulness, there's peace. Because you're living what the Lord has called you to do. Instead of filling it with something else. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go do this. This is easier. Less scary. It doesn't bring the same peace. Because that's not what we're called to. Fourth, we, we must walk in humility. Judges 6.15, Gideon says to the angel of the Lord, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now, I don't actually know if this is Gideon being humble or not, or if this is Gideon being scared. No, no, kind of like Moses. No, I can't do it. Find someone else. But nonetheless, it points to the importance of humility. If he's being 
genuine. God, how can I save Israel? Like, genuinely. My, my house is the smallest. I'm of no significance. How can I do that? It points to the need, the importance for humility in finding peace in our heart. When you know that it is your humble offering to the Lord that he then takes and does something absolutely amazing with, there's such peace in that. Because it's not on your shoulders. It's not up to you. Imagine if we just walk into every situation. I'm the least. I'm the weakest. I'm not worried about me. But I'm just going to walk in and I'm going to be faithful in anything that I accomplish is because my Savior is so amazing. Can't you just feel the peace that comes from that? Instead of trying to fight and do, I'm going to accomplish, I'm going to do this. No. God, I'm here. I want to be faithful to what you've asked me to do and I'm just going to do it. And it's you who brings the increase. It's not me. I can't do anything on my own. There's such rest in that. And last, number five, we must trust God's faithfulness. Verse 22 to 24. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is my peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. Gideon was terrified because he saw the angel of the Lord face to face, and when that happens, you die. I was like, no, no, God's like, no, I've got something greater for you. Gideon, it's okay, you're not going to die. Peace be with you. And as I said, we see over chapter 6 into chapter 17, read Gideon's experience. He sees the faithfulness of God. And as he sees the faithfulness of God, it builds peace in his own heart. When we see God's faithfulness over our lives, like we're, we're forgetful people. We talk about this a lot. We're forgetful people, right? But when we see the faithfulness of God over our lives, it brings such peace. When we're in a really difficult circumstance, maybe you've gotten, I don't know, maybe it's cancer. And there's turmoil in your heart. But when you can look back and go, God, you were faithful here and here, and here, and when I stepped into it here, you were faithful. And you brought me through this. That was painful, but you brought me through that. Then you can sit there and go, okay, I know that you're going to bring me through this. And if it's not on this side of eternity, you've got me. No matter what, I will be with you. You're not going to leave me. You're not going to forsake me. That brings peace in any situation. So this is what we need to know as followers of Jesus. We have to have a personal encounter and relationship with the Lord. We have to know who we are in Christ. We have to receive a divine call from the Lord. We must walk in humility. And we must know the faithfulness of God. 